uh, yeah, today we, have, um, today we have a lot to get to, so we're going to jump right into it. Uh, I have to tell you guys a really quick, funny story, though, because uh, and it, it has something to do with today. Uh, the premise is that uh, I, I love when people are energetic, and I specifically love when the people of Center Church are energetic, and I specifically, specifically love when they're energetic while I'm preaching, while I'm speaking, and so feel free to just have a little bit of energy, and I'll tell you, yes, thank you, I love that. Here's, here's the story. So uh, I think it was Friday, maybe Thursday, I was working at home in my office, and uh, Pastor Kelly and I were having dialogue via text, and I, I said, hey, man, no, it was definitely Friday, That's because it came out on Friday. Uh, I go, hey, man, you have to check out the new Kanye West album. I know, right? You're like, what? And his response was literally, Why? <laughs> That's what he said to me. So, so I was like, okay. And I was like, no, you have to look at it. I've heard that he is putting out a gospel album that it proclaims his love for Jesus now. And, uh, and it came out today. And sure enough, it is amazing. And it is Jesus-centric. It is gospel-centric. And he goes, interesting. That was actually, I, like, I was like, I was super pumped. And those were his two responses to me. And I was like, no, bro, get excited. And so I say all of that to say that if you are a why and an interesting person, you need to, you need to cheer up a little bit today, okay? Because <laughs> we're going to go through a really great story. We're going to be talking about Ruth. And we're doing it through the context of the story. And so if you have your copy of the story, it's chapter 9. We have uh, copies of that back there. Or, or you can just turn to the book of Ruth because we're going to talk through a good portion of it uh, through the entire story. So just don't be why and interesting people today. For my sake, please, okay? Can we handle that? We can handle that. Okay, so like I said, we're going to meet a few characters today. Ruth, Boaz, Naomi are really the central figures. And spoiler alert, we're going to find out that sometimes your life is going to be disappointing. I know. I know. I'm breaking the news to some of you. You're like, no way. My life is never disappointing. Sometimes your life is disappointing. Disappointing results, disappointing decisions by people that you love, uh, disappointing circumstances that are just sort of out of your control. At times, life will be disappointing. But today's story about Ruth will hopefully encourage you. Um, you will see how your disappointing circumstances are a great opportunity for God to redeem you, to carry you through, to show you something amazing. And so each week we've been trying to come up with this sticky phrase idea. And I will admit, this is a sticky sentence because I couldn't get it to just a phrase. And so I just wanted to just put the whole sentence together. This is a sticky sentence. And so I put it up there for you guys to read. Uh, here's the idea. You can judge a book by its cover, but don't be surprised if you make bad judgments. <laughs> you can judge a book by a cover, but don't be surprised if you make bad judgments. I had this conversation with my friend Zach the other day, and uh, we were talking about how the idea, that phrase, don't judge a book by its cover, is actually impossible. It's really a ridiculous premise, right? Because of course you're going to judge a book by its cover, right? You're going to judge a book by its cover. You're going to pick it up, you're going to look at it, and you're going to make a judgment. It's what, your, it's what your brain is designed to do. Like Whether or not it's a good judgment, that remains to be seen, but you're going to judge a book by its cover. Just don't be surprised if your judgments are bad and wrong. And really, like you've been making bad judgments your whole life, so why stop now, right? Like That's, <laughs> that's really what it boils down to. But if you want to see what the story in the book is really about, you actually have to read the pages, right? 
And for it to really make sense, you have to read the entire story. Any, any skimmers in here? Okay, yeah, so we have some skimmers. Um, the rest of you just don't read, right? Because otherwise you would have raised your hand. Like everyone skimmed a book before. You, Karen Hager, you read the whole book every time? Yes. Oh my yes. goodness. She is way holier than I. <laughs> that is for sure. You have to read the whole book, though, to get the whole story. And today's story is really like one of those stories. Like you really want to see it until its completion for you to understand uh, how good this story is. Because throughout portions of the story, you will be like, this is not a good story, right? Or this is a really terrible story. So we're going to do that. We're going to go through the story of Ruth together, and we're going to dive in. So if you're in uh, the story, uh, you can turn to chapter 9, or like I said, if you want to pull up uh, the, the book of Ruth in your Bible, you can do that. Um, and it says in the beginning of chapter 9 in the story, it says, in the days when judges ruled, there was famine in the land. And so I just want to briefly say this. If you missed last week's message, I would encourage you to go back to the podcast Check it out. Pastor Kelly did a fantastic job with last week's sermon. Um, but for today's sake, just know that that was a time when the people of Israel uh, did as they pleased. They had forgotten all that God had done for them. And the judges were God's leaders to those people, trying him like trying to use people to save them, to pull them through the difficult times that they had put themselves in. So that's the time period that we're in. We're still there, although now we're focusing on a specific uh, few characters. So we start by meeting a man named Elimelech. And Elimelech's name is, is translated to my God and my king. Now, names in that time period were really important. So you have this man whose name means my God and my king. It's a big deal. And we know that there's famine in the land because we just read that, but we're not sure why. We don't know if it's God's judgment or if there was just a cycle. Uh, we just know that there's famine in the land. And because of this famine, Elimelech decides to move his family from the promised land to Moab. Okay, so that's, that's what happened. He makes the decision to move his family. He was married to a woman named Naomi, whose name means pleasant. What a great name, right? Like, pleasant, right? And they had two sons, and I kid you not, their names Malin and Killian mean sick and dying. Who names their kids that? Come on, you're setting them up for failure right there. I mean, that's just seriously, right? So they have these two kids, sick and dying, <laughs> And uh, for economic reasons, uh, as you can understand, uh, in an agrarian culture like theirs, if there's famine, it's, it's hard times. So Elimelech moves his family to Moab, which is very foreign to them. It's a land that uh, is away from everything that they know, as we'll talk about in a little bit. It's, it's a cursed people. Um, but I will say this. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the idea of moving away from the land that God promised you to the space that God designed for, me, for you uh, seems like their first mistake. Like if God tells you to go live somewhere and you finally get there after wandering for a while and getting it wrong for a while, uh, you should stay there, right? You should stay there and uh, famine or not, but they don't and they leave. And in fact, we're going to see in just a moment that his economic decision actually had serious spiritual implications for his entire family. So when they get to Moab, like almost immediately, Elimelech dies. So he moves his family and then he passes away. But, she, but Naomi, the matriarch now, has two sons, like I said, um, sick and dying. And, uh, and so that, there's hope there, right? And, uh, and so she's left with her two sons in this foreign land and they actually end up marrying Moabite women. 
Oprah, no, Orpa. I knew I was gonna do that. It's one switch and I was like practicing all week. Okay, this is the one thing I'm gonna nail and I didn't. Uh, Orpa and Ruth. Uh, and after living there, being married for 10 years, the two sons die as well. So they're sick and dying and that comes true. And, uh, and really, so what we see now is we have Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, and they're living in a land that's foreign to Naomi, where she has no uh, social, political standing, and it's, it's pretty hopeless at this point. And really, it, it just shows, like, I know that we talked about this briefly already, but when you are in a desperate situation and you try to take things into your own hands, it never works out well. Right, like that's, Elimelech was trying to do well by his family, but he went against what he should have done, and it just never works out. So that's, that's one thing to just notice. So now you have Naomi, her two daughters-in-law, living in a foreign land, and soon uh, they just realize, like, this is not going to work. Naomi hears through the grapevine, though, that there's now food back in their homeland, back in the promised land. And so uh, she decides to move them back to the promised land. And, 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 and basically what happens is all of a sudden, uh, Naomi says to her daughters, because they, they pick up and they start to move back, and on the journey there, it's, she says this. She says, wait, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Like, she just has, like, a panic. Like, I'm taking these two women away from their home, away from their people. Their husbands are no longer here for them. Like, what am I doing? So she kind of panics. She says, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in, your, in the home of another husband. And Oprah, uh, Orpah and Ruth and Naomi, they all start weeping loudly at this point. It's a very emotional moment for them. And, and they say, no, 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 we're going to stick with you. We're going to stick with you. But then Naomi does something that actually, that, you know, Maybe you can relate to this, maybe you can't. She goes on this crazy mother-in-law rant. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, okay? We're not going to do that. Um, she goes on this crazy mother-in-law rant, and eventually it, con- it convinces Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> this time it's actually spelled Oprah in my notes, which means that, okay, so. Orpah, I'm, thankfully, I'm going to stop talking about her in just a sec, and I won't mess it up anymore. Um, but Orpah, she convinces her to leave and to go back t- to Moab. So she's out of the picture now. But Ruth says, no, no, no. I- I'm still with you. And it says that Ruth clung to Naomi. So this isn't just like, yeah, let's just see. No, she's like, no, I am with you. I am going with you. I'm going to stick with you. And so eventually they get back to Bethlehem. And it says that the whole town stirred and asked, could this be Naomi? Now, one of the things we know about Bethlehem at this point is that at this time period, it's really only around 200 people, right? So imagine you lived in a community of just 200 people. You leave with your husband and two sons, and you come back, you and this woman that they don't know. And just like, like, no wonder they're like, could this be Naomi? Like, this is impossible. But when their entire family leaves and comes back different, I just imagine the amount of dialogue that it starts amongst the people. So Naomi just has, she just, she just calls it out right there. Says that Naomi stops and says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. So Mara means bitter. She's changed her name from Naomi to Mara. I went away full, 
But the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has brought me back empty. Okay, so at this point, you're thinking exactly what I told you you were going to be thinking about seven minutes ago. What in the world's going on with this story, right? Because up to this point, it's all about loss. And it certainly is full of loss to this point, um, but it doesn't have to be about loss. It doesn't have to be the entirety of the story. Our friend, Dr. Jerry Sitzer, um, he's actually come and, 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 and um, spoke at Center Church a few times. He's good friends with Pastor Kelly and I. He wrote a book called A Grace Disguised. And, uh, and, he, and he tells a story about losing his mom, his wife, and his daughter in a single car accident. Three generations of his family wiped out in a single car accident hit by a drunk driver. And so he says this in his book, and I just want to read this quote to you, and I think I actually have it. Um, it's going to be on the screen. I can't remember if I did, but just listen to it anyway. It says, the experience of loss does not need to be the defining moment of our story. The defining moment can be our response to the loss. The story doesn't have to be about the loss. The story can be about our response to the loss. And that's coming from a person who obviously experienced tremendous loss. And so I love, I love that because, yes, there's loss there, but the story doesn't have to end there. The story doesn't have to end with loss. So we're in this dark time with Ruth and Naomi, but there is a little bit of a bright spot. When they return back to Bethlehem, it's actually harvest time. And so again, if you understand agrarian culture, harvest is a good time, right? That means there's going to be likely plentiful uh, amounts of food. And actually, one of the things that's really uh, sort of nuanced in the story, but it's really cool, is the idea that whatever was left over in the field, uh, people who were foreigners or didn't have their own land to grow were able to glean. They were able to go out and pick up the rest. And so they return, of course, uh, empty, you know, hurting, uh, bitter, as you know, Naomi is. Uh, but God immediately, immediately starts to work in their life and their situation by providing them a little bit what they need. So Naomi understands. Like she's like, okay, I'm back where I'm, uh, where I'm from. I'm back in my homeland, but I have to care for Ruth, and, and it's going to be really hard for me to care for Ruth, Ruth and protect her. Uh, so I need, I need to get her a husband. I need to find her somebody that she can be with, because in that time, they just, the women just did not hold social and political power. They weren't able to own things, and so it was just a hard time to be a single widow, as if it's not hard anyway. <laughs> so, uh, but particularly in this moment, Ruth says, or Damon was like, I have to find, uh, uh, I have to find somebody to care for Ruth. Now, if you're reading the story or if you're following uh, along in the book of Ruth, there's a lot that happens like in this next section that we just don't have time to cover, but I want to encourage you to go read it. But eventually what happens is, and I'm just fast forwarding, is the idea that Ruth finds favor with a man and his name is Boaz. Okay, so Boaz enters the story, and the story about how she does that is actually quite, like, awesome and uh, sort of interesting about covering his feet with a blanket, and yeah, you definitely want to go read it, so do that, please do that, but for now, uh, just know that she has found favor with a man named Boaz, and Boaz wants, uh, he wants to redeem her. 
He wants to take her on. He wants to buy the land. He wants to, to uh, redeem the legacy of Naomi and by, by marrying Ruth. Um, but there's, there's rules and laws on how this can happen in their culture. So there's actually another person in the story who has first right of refusal. So we're going to talk about this interaction. So he wants to make sure that he does everything right. Boaz is like, okay, I need to make sure I do this right. So he gathers all of the town. He, he gathers the men, and he says this. Um, on page 126 of your story, uh, he says um, to the man, he says, uh, you have first right of refusal to redeem Naomi. And then it says, and then the man says, I will redeem it, he said. He said, okay. So Boaz wants to redeem Naomi, wants to marry her, but he can't because this man's like, yep, I'm going to take that because he gets to acquire the land, right? An asset, very good thing. But then Boaz does something really great. He says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, making her sound real good right at this point, in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot. So Boaz, like, really quickly, like, okay, I'm gonna, I know how I'm going to get him to, like, <laughs> let me have access to this. I'm going to tell him, like, you get Ruth the Moabite uh, and her bitter mother-in-law, <laughs> uh, right? Because, you know, it says, like, she wants to be called bitter. So uh, you get... Uh, you get the widow and you get the better mother-in-law. And the guy's like, nope, I'm good. All yours. Take it. So, so he, they get their wish and, and they get to actually get married. And it says this on page 127. It says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife, which is, which is an awesome thing, right? When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Remember that. We're going to talk about that in just a second. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Your daughter-in-law who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Now, seven in the Bible is the perfect number. So what they're saying is, is if you had the perfect situation as you could have imagined it, Ruth and now her son, Naomi's grandson, is better than the situation you could have imagined. It's better than the perfect idea that you could have had about your life. Pretty amazing. So we see that that happens. We see that they get their wish and that she's actually redeemed uh, through Boaz, through marriage to Boaz. And so I want to just take a couple minutes and I want to point out just a few themes that happen in this story that I think will encourage you that the story doesn't end up being about loss. It ends up being about redemption, specifically through the guardian redeemer. So here's the first theme that's happening that's really awesome. God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his plans. God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his plans. I cannot tell you how encouraging this should be to you, right? Because you know you better than anyone else knows you. And if you're like most people, you are aware of how not good you are. Does that make sense? Like how short you fall sometimes of the things that you wish you were. But 
God uses the people who are unlikely, not the perfect people, as if there were some. He uses the imperfect, the broken, the downtrodden, the people who are not supposed to be part of his great plan. Two examples. First of all, the mother of Boaz. So we meet Boaz. He ends up being this great man who redeems Ruth. The mother of Boaz, traced back through biblical lineage, is actually Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho. So let's just think about that for a second, right? She helps uh, in Jericho, if you remember the story, she helps the spies come in and basically plot a plan to take over for them to follow uh, where God's leading them. And she, through that experience, meets them and says, I want to follow God. I want to give my life to God. So she's adopted into the family of Israel. She begins to follow God. And now she has a son who's now the guardian redeemer. Their family uh, is part of this amazing story. And Boaz, because of his situation, is probably, I would imagine, really sensitive to people who are downtrodden, who are stepped on by other people because he's seen his mother be abused in situations that are unfathomable. So you have Boaz, first of all, Ruth is the other example. Ruth is the exact person who should not be there either. She's a Moabite, which if you know the story of the Bible, is a cursed people in a cursed land. So she's cursed. And on top of that, she's now a widow, which I mentioned earlier is a terrible position to be in socially, politically, economically. And yet, she's redeemed by Boaz, the son of a prostitute, who then she ends up marrying and having a child with, and their child is named Obed. Now, Obed may not be the most like, oh, I I totally know that name, right? But Obed is actually the grandfather of somebody you likely have heard of, King David. So their storyline, right, the son of a prostitute and a cursed woman being brought by her bitter mother-in-law to a land that doesn't belong to her, she ends up getting married, becoming part of the community, and they actually are the lineage through which Jesus flows. That means that God can use unlikely people to accomplish his plans. That's the encouraging theme number one. The second one that I want to point out to you is that the story of Ruth and Boaz is one of the most direct foreshadowings of what Jesus is going to do in the larger story. In the Old Testament, uh, it can definitely be sort of hidden, uh, this, the narrative of what Jesus is doing. If you, you, know, you pick through um, pieces of the Old Testament, you can definitely see it. But this is like, this is overt. Like this is like, if you know what Jesus did, this story is like a direct foreshadowing. In fact, our friend Dr. Sitter will often say this about the New and the Old Testament. He'll say, the New is concealed in the Old, and the Old is revealed in the New connecting the testaments, meaning that if you look really hard, you can see the narrative of Jesus already at play in the Old Testament, but this one you don't have to look that hard, and let me tell you, let me tell you why. Um, The guardian redeemer was a safeguard that God put into place for the people of Israel to protect them. Uh, If a family member fell on hard times, uh, they lost, um, you know, the, uh, someone passed away, or they were going to lose their land for economic reasons, because, I mean, again, their property, their land is what mattered most to them economically. 
a member of that family had first right to go in and buy and redeem that. They would become the guardian redeemer. This was created so that uh, the people would not lose the standing that they had in that community. They would not let the things that, that were of most value to them fall outside of their family. So this person would become a guardian redeemer. Okay, so in Ruth's story, uh, a woman who is, again, from a cursed people, living in a land full of people who dislike her people greatly, widowed, which means, again, she has no social, political, economic standing, she is completely at the mercy of someone's generosity and grace. Sound familiar? It's a beautiful picture of the gospel, and that is awesome right there, okay? I promise you they're having fun. They're playing giant Jenga. It's this big. That is a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So you read the story of Ruth, and it's really unbelievable how it plays itself out. But what's more unbelievable to me is the idea that God saw fit to tell the story about what Jesus was going to do through who? Two very unlikely people. So here's the big idea for today. It's what's written on the pages inside the book that tells the whole story. Remember, we talked about judging a book by its cover. If we return to our book analogy, um, I have a book here. Um, yep, I did that. I had to go back and make sure that I remembered how to make like a paper book cover, right? We're going to call this book your current disappointing situation. I know, it's, it's a, you can't put it down. <laughs> New York Times bestseller. Your current disappointing situation. And on the cover, you can see things like loss, sickness, divorce, worry, unemployment, financial problems, bitterness, anxiety, pain. And you look at that and you think to yourself, I don't want that story. I don't want that book. I don't want that to be about me. And you respond like Naomi did, and I totally understand Naomi's response. She says, this is not what I wanted from God, so call me Mara and call me bitter. We often do this in the middle of disappointing situations. We pick this up and we say, this is not my story. I don't want this. Call me bitter. Leave me alone. But the better example is Ruth. The better example is Ruth. If we can just be a little bit more like Ruth... If we can be, I know, I was like, okay, I don't want that to fall down. If we can be a little bit more like Ruth and see the story through to its completion. See how God is writing the narrative of your life inside of the pages. Don't be caught up what's written on the cover because, again, you make bad judgments and you have been your entire life. So you can judge a book by its cover, but don't be surprised if you make bad judgments. When we open up the story, what do we see? We see that, that Naomi gets a grandson, which is her greatest hope. We see that Naomi gets a grandson, which is her greatest hope. We see that Ruth is finally married and now has a child, which brings redemption to her life. So we have hope, we have redemption, and Boaz who's the son of a prostitute who didn't even belong to that community one generation earlier, has his legacy secured. Has his legacy 
secured. So quitting on your story would be ruthless. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's right here, too. I meant to say it. Don't tell me I didn't. I want to invite the band up. We're going to sing a couple songs here in just a second, but I just really want to encourage you. I really want to encourage you with this. Don't give up. If you're in the middle of a situation that's disappointing, that's full of things that you're just like, this is not what God, this is not what I'm supposed to have. I went away full and God has brought me back empty, right? If that's your story, don't give up. See the situation through. Trust that he is with you in the middle of that situation, guiding you, directing you, and working out your situation for his glory and your benefit. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. When you hear a story like Ruth's and Naomi's and Boaz's, you realize that that's not just words on a page, but that there's truth to that and that God is working in each and every one of our disappointing situations that we don't necessarily know the end of, and he doesn't want us to give up. Because again, you can judge a book by its cover, but you are often a bad judge. So don't be surprised if you make bad judgments about your story before you see the whole thing through. Don't be surprised if you make bad judgments about your story if you don't see the whole thing through. Do me a favor, stand up. I want to pray for you. I hope that Ruth's story encouraged you today. The situations that are disappointing to you, uh, whether they're your own disappointments or you're disappointed in someone else, be encouraged today because God is working in those situations. He's writing a story that is better than the perfection that you imagined. God, thank you for today. God, I pray that because of that, we would sing wildly because of your grace in our life, because of the fact that you have come into our situations and you have redeemed us, that we can walk freely in your grace, God, into those situations, that we don't have to be bound by the fact that we have dropped the ball, that we have let other people down, that we have let you down, God, because we are covered. We are bought by your blood. You have redeemed our shortcomings, and now uh, we have hope, and now we have redemption, and now we have a legacy. So, God, I pray that we would be living those stories out, that we would be seeing them through to completion, that we would not judge the story by the cover, but, God, that we would see what's, what's being written in the story in the hearts of our lives, God. I thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. after that, I don't know what to do. Pastor Rick, you're going to have to come back for another round. I don't, I don't know. Uh, man, that's so awesome. I love that story. Can I just give you a quick example before we go of like just one of the many, many small ways in which God redeems 
ordinary things for his purpose. Um, how about the fact that this is um, an elementary school and we're here worshiping God in it? Uh, how about the fact that the school's glad we're here? Uh, they want us to be part of it. How about the fact that even something like the cultural phenomenon of Halloween last weekend, uh, the church, people who love Jesus, were here to bless the community as part of that. God redeems ordinary things for awesome, awesome purposes. I wanted to share something with you before you go. Uh, I have mentioned to you before that I have this little note that I keep in my phone. Every time I hear something that sounds really smart or really important or memorable in some way, I write it down. And it is like miles long now because I've been doing it for several years. But about five years ago, Pastor Rick was talking about this very story. And uh, he was talking about God's purpose for your life. And similarly, like the plans God has for you that don't look like they're taking shape right now. And this is what he said, because sometimes Pastor Rick says smart things. He said, where you are now is just as good as where you wish it were, as where you wish you were. Where you are now is just as good as where you wish you were as it pertains to God's plans. He can get you where he wants you to go from wherever you are, whatever it looks like. So I'm going to pray for you. Uh, I'm going to make one announcement, and then we're going to go. We're going to enjoy our, uh, our Sunday. I'm, I'm about to uh, have a visitor, though. Come on up. Tina, uh, if you don't know Tina, um, I don't hand the microphone to everyone, but I love and trust and respect Tina. So, uh, And I normally would not do this, but my heart is beating out of my chest. The story of Ruth is true today. Not everybody knows, but I lost my son two years ago this month and my husband a little over a year and a half ago. And God has met me and has redeemed me has renewed my spirit. I was asking, am I a cold person to be able to let this go? But it's not me. It's him. It's his peace. It's his love. It's his strength that has gotten me through. And I have a story to share. And I thank him and give him all the glory. Tina, thank you for just being bold enough to share that. Uh, it has been an incredible journey uh, in so many ways. Um, so let me pray for you. Um, God's going to do awesome things. I hope you believe that this week. Uh, I hope you're, you're anticipating that. You're setting your mind on his charis, the good things that he wants to pour in your life. Lord, uh, thank you that you haven't called us to enter your presence um, in a way that is uh, uh, sort of mediocre and expecting small things, but you said that we should come into your presence with shouts of praise, uh, with joy, that when we come to you, we're coming to a powerful God, our heavenly Father, our Dad who owns everything. And so, God, we're just going to come to you right now and just ask you uh, that we would see your hand in our lives this week, God, that you would redeem the things that are frustrating us, that you would create hopeful new things. God, I thank you for the work that you've done in the life of our friend Tina. I uh, pray you'd help us to love her and others who are struggling well in Jesus' name. Amen. The last thing before.